0: Hello and welcome to CIO Leadership Live. I'm Cathy O'Sullivan, your host, and I'm delighted to welcome our guest today, Tracy McElroy, who is the Chief Digital Officer at Alliance Group. Hey, Tracy, how are things in the South Island today? Ora, Kathy, um, we actually have rain today. So, having had thirty degrees all
1: last week in Christchurch and Invercargill were going to be transformed into summer resorts. No, we're back to freezing cold. So, yeah.
0: Oh well, the farmers will be happy about some rain exactly on the grass. True, <laughs> true. Sure. Yeah, sure. So, um, tell us a little bit more about Alliance Group and your role there. Sure.
1: Um, so Alliance Group um, is one of New Zealand's largest meat companies. I think we're probably the number two largest company. And it's a pretty special organisation because it's wholly owned by New Zealand farmers. So it's got a pretty unique and special culture. We're very, very driven about what's important to our sort of Aotearoa farmers, the agricultural sector more broadly. Um, so very exciting. We've got seven plants, mostly five of them in the South Island, two in the North. So we're very focused on farmers, our production, um, and we're 95% of our products are exported. So very much about what's happening overseas and markets um, dominates a lot of what's happening. Um, so I've just joined a CDO, uh, I've actually rejoined, so rejoined five months ago, because there is so much going on here in that technology space, I almost couldn't stay away. So I actually used to work here as the head of the people change for ERP, joined Datacom as the head of South Island. And i uh, Alliance Group was one of many customers, including Silver Fern Farms and some other large names people may know, um, but just could not uh, get over the, the scale of technology change that's happening here. So it was just super excited to come back and be a part of it.
0: So a lot of change and you've had, um, you know, you've had experience of transformation in many different organizations. Can you talk us through your approach to transformation? It's often, you know, the word is thrown around as if it's a given. It's just something that happens, but it's not easy. So how has that approach taken shape in your own career?
1: Sure. Um, so if I think back I've worked for quite a few large organisations. I started my career in Frontera for a number of years, ended up in Europe, worked at Accenture and worked in the transformation space, primarily in technology, um, and then came back to New Zealand and worked more in the small to medium-sized sector. and Basically, transformation is everywhere. So in every organization of some scale or form, transformation and change is a thing. So um, whether it's been a named program with a fancy name and it's got bells and whistles and everyone recognizes they're part of the huge transformation to achieve something, or whether it's smaller scale, ongoing improvements, change, new products, new services, culture change. You know, transformation can simply happen because a new CEO arrives and alliance groups are um, going right through that change at the moment. So it's going to be really interesting to see um, how that affects our organization. So whether it's transformation through culture, through, through new leadership and new styles, or whether it's something really specific around an ERP program and technology actually shaping an organization. So it's everywhere different shapes and sizes, and it really depends on whether you even call it transformation because it's almost business as usual and how a person in the organization, perhaps who is having change done to them, thinks about how to manage it and how to cope versus someone who's perhaps in the driving seat and actually designing that transformation. So whichever role or space you're in, it creates a different perspective.
0: So from the technology leader's perspective, walking back from that end product of transformation, whether it is putting in a new ERP or whether it is just, you know, absolutely overhauling the whole organization, what do you think are some of the key steps along the way that technology leaders should take? Great. So I think the first
1: thing is, and it's certainly a Something a theme that I'm seeing is for technology leaders to get up there in that strategic space and really understanding what's the organization trying to achieve. So what is what what what's top of mind? Where is it going? What are the product services customers, you know, at their highest level? What, what what's the goal? So I think the first thing is to really understand that strategic space. Um, the next thing is you know, years ago, um, I started using this multi-layer model operating model concept for managing transformation. So trying to dimension a transformation across components of an organisation. So if you sort of think of a technology layer, well actually technology is data, it's infrastructure, it's applications and systems, it's the capability of people to actually use the technology and often technology ends up with all the processes. So all the BAs and trying to design processes that then change people. So I think The main thing from a CIO is to make that connection between the high-level strategy and then trying to deconstruct the layers that technology impacts and then making sure there's a plan for each of those layers. Um, And then, you know, if it's possible to then keep the lens and the governance across all those layers to make sure they're all going in the right direction. And I think it's quite a – you know, technology leaders are often pushed into – the infrastructure space or the data space and really getting that right, perhaps an ERP or an application, and you can get very focused on that. But actually the barrier or the, the block to success and the transformation might actually sit in the culture or the people space. So it's a real conundrum because technology leaders have to go deep into the technology and they're expected to understand it and be the ones to then explain it to the rest of the executive and the organisation and the board um, and get to stay and stay sort of holistically above it all to really keep that picture on where is actually the road going and where are the blocks happening and what's going to get in my way of being successful in terms of the technology responsibilities.
0: So it is challenging, you know, and there can be little bumps that that happen along the way. And you've mentioned a couple of them there, you know, when it comes to to people and and the culture and, you know, a fear of change being done to them rather than, being, you know, something they're part of. So what are some of those kind of common roadblocks um, and what have been your kind of strategies to either avoid them along the way or just have a plan for how you'll tackle them?
1: Sure. Um, So I think whether we call it um, sort of organizational capacity to change or change fatigue, but, you know, an organization which is a group of individuals only has so much energy to, you know, turn up at work each day, do the operating or the tasks in front of them and then absorb change or drive it or be part of it. So I think the um, understanding of capacity um, is really, really important. And there's various tools and so on you can use to to, to look across an organization organization and a group of people and understand where all the changes are coming. So we've just got an example at the moment, we're about to implement a new system and we've got a new support team who are putting in new telephony two weeks before we're going live with the system. And we just we think the telephony gap of two weeks is fine the telephony will be in place and be fine but if we'd landed that at the same time that's too much change and when you call it too much change or just simply you know conflicting systems that probably shouldn't both be switched on on the same day and the same time and it happens all the time so you have different parts of the organization driving change from different places it's very difficult actually to get one central place where you can see everything and make sure you've tackled everything so so i think capacity to change and the uh the aunts the Counter to that is uh, trying to get as much of a point of view at what's happening in the organisation. You know, we're a seasonal organisation, so we can see the ebbs and flows of... um this is the season um, but then often a strategic decision will be made to go down a particular product route and that will be made by the product or sales team so keeping that kind of dialogue and that that, that visibility of change i think is really important um the other thing i've just been focusing on a little bit lately is listening to people talk about silos and you know whether we call those functions or whether there are silos because of leaders wherever they form and people keep you know, use the word breaking down silos. And I think there's a realization that that's not going to happen. Silos are there and are very actually very rigid structures in an organization, what's important is the communication and the language between silos. And I think it's much, much more important to understand uh, when a sales team is talking about um, a concept, they may actually be talking about an agile concept the way we understand it in technology, but they don't use the term agile. So trying to really get behind what are different silos talking about to then create that common moving forward and, um, you know, know, sort of shared experience. So, yeah, I think those are the main things. I think the other thing is this um, concept of value. So if everything is driven by what has the most value and the most impact to an organization, it does tend to unite people. So we often have different measures of value, but if you start to really unpack those, so the dollar values, the uh, impact on engagement, the the value to end customers, um, the value of having better data and decisions. So actually uniting people around value instead of uh, ideas. So I want my idea, you've got your idea, but actually what's going to have the biggest impact? And we're really lucky. We have the luxury of being owned by farmers and it actually is a really uniting concept to say at the end of the day, are our farmers going to be better off if we do this or are they going to be better off if we do that? And it actually has helped, you know, certainly due COVID, you know, 5,000 people across our organisation had to start working uh, extra two metres apart. They all had to walk in a certain way around the plant. It was the most phenomenal thing to observe. And, you know, I mean, that we're a food company, so we were sort of united under the responsibility of, of producing food. But, but anyway, so that trying to find concepts that unite and move everybody forward.
0: That's a wonderful way of, of looking at it. You know, yeah. people behind that value that you're yeah, offering.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: So then, Tracy, do you see there ever being an end date to transformation? Do you like to see it as a continuous, ongoing development within a business? Or do you think transformation should be viewed as just a project, you know, with deadlines and milestones so people understand where they're going and um, the goals that they're hitting? Where do you stand on that? Yeah,
1: it's a great question. I think it depends at what level you're talking. So I think if you stand back in the big picture, transformation is ongoing. So we are, uh, change is escalating. You know, if we look at COVID, you know, it's not over, the the, the aftermath and the the supply chain pressures, the the, the culture changes, the ways of working, the, the change is continuous. And a few years ago, I mean, everyone probably uses the concept of horizons, but thinking about change and bucketing in terms of horizons, that was so releasing in terms of this much change must be finished on the state. Well, actually, we've got a rough time horizon of six months or a year with this amount of change, horizon two and horizon three. And by the time you get to horizon, end of horizon one, well, horizon three probably looks completely different than the way it did at horizon one. So actually bucketing transformation into time periods, and because of the pace of change, allowing the flow of ideas and innovation to keep going so that you're not so fixed on what your plan was for horizon 3 you know that that you don't absorb the 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 trend or benefit from something that's happened so i think Changes continuous, bucketing to horizons really help. But at an individual level, that's overwhelming. So for individuals, it's much easier to understand and actually make it the opposite. Small, manageable chunks, which on this particular month, we're going to go live with this particular solution. All anybody has to do is X, Y, and Z. And that's not always possible. You know, some, some changes inherently are much larger, but doing as much as you can to make it absorbable and people you know, can then adopt and use whatever the technology is, they can then be part of saying, hey, I've had this idea about how that thing you've made me use could be better and allowing for the users to then be part of creating what the next step is the next step. So, you know, whether whether that's transformation or one small component of a much, much bigger picture.
0: So you're you're in your role five months now and you've obviously worked at Alliance before, so you do understand the organization. But can you give us a bit of insight into how you collaborate and influence the leadership team and the wider organization as a CDO? Yeah,
1: so we have um, our our ELT uh, as a sort of overarching governance group, obviously. And so there are lots of ways in which technology and other leaders feed into that group or present to that group. So a really big part of achieving change here and everywhere I've ever worked is making sure that leadership team understand whatever the concept is that um, we're trying to put forward, that it's well explained and that their support and their, their, uh, I guess, prioritization of it is is there so engaging with that group and um, and everywhere I've ever been actually um, making sure the executive it depends on the scale of the change obviously you don't want to bother them with every small idea but making sure you get you get it right in terms of what they should know and getting their support to it Um, and of course if you get that wrong not just here but anywhere, it can really slow things down and make things more difficult. So I think that's a key part of it. We also have quite a few um, cross-functional groups. So we've got a group that looks at people change management across the organisation. So that's um, proving a really productive way, as I sort of sang earlier, to bring together all the different changes that are happening and understanding the burden on individuals within the organisation. So those cross-functional teams are really important. But as CDO, I've got the real privilege of being able to use value stream type thinking and introduce this new way of thinking so to actually reach out to all of these different uh, organo- parts of the organisation, ask them about their pain points, ask them about their problems and bring that back, I've got a subset of an ELT governance group that will help prioritise because we, we we could spend forever in one particular value stream but trying to look across one organisation, what's the right way to spread our resources and what's the right way to move forward um, so Having the privilege, I guess, of being able to go out and talk across teams, but bring that back to sort of a central group and try and use that common language of value and impact on shareholders, impact on customers to then prioritize.
0: Now, you mentioned earlier, you know, the the impact of the pandemic and the changes Mm. that had to be made at Alliance during that time. How do you think the role overall of a CIO or CDO has changed since the pandemic?
1: Sure. I think there is so much more responsibility now on CIOs and CDOs to be able to understand technology and articulate that to the senior leadership teams of the organization and often to the board. So I remember so a couple of years ago, I went along to a board um, and I Institute of Directors training program and talking to them about how they're educating future directors on the topic of technology, you know, and there was wide acknowledgement in the room that it's moving so fast, it's almost impossible for board members certainly to, to keep up with the language and therefore govern an organization that might be going through considerable technology driven change. So really the CIO, CDO, the better they are at articulating what the technology is, why it's going to cost this much, because it always costs a lot in my experience, what the impact of it is going to be, what the risks are of not doing it. And it's it's not easy. So I think the prevalence and the growth of technology that's occurred as people have been working remotely and trying to solve big problems with every strategy they can think of. And often it's a a technology in there somewhere. So that role of... uh, CDO, CIO to really understand that and explain that to their fellow business people so that good decisions can be made. That's a huge change and not an easy one. You know, I've just been, we've just had the CIO um, conference here in Christchurch sort of a few months ago and the diversity and complexity of topics. And you now throw in the whole sustainability angle. So not just um, how does technology help organizations become more sustainable, but how does technology become more sustainable? These are massive questions. And, you know, technology leaders are, I think, struggling even with just understanding the technologies of today, let alone these challenges, which New Zealand is really going to have to start thinking about and and, um, absorbing and planning for um, going forward.
0: And of course, one of those big challenges facing a lot of CIOs and CDOs, and indeed, um, all technology leaders at the moment is the um shortage of of talent. You know, we 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 were seeing so many roles advertised and not enough people to fill them. So can you tell us a little bit more about your view on creating a good culture in a company and what IT leaders need to do to really get that engagement and making people feel like they're thriving at work?
1: Yeah, great question. So if I think about um it so datacom actually where I've just come from, um we had matured a lot of our social strategies Really considerably, so we thought about women and technology, thought about Maori and Pacifica, and had a number of strategies to try and bring women and Maori into into technology. So we'd um, translated our values into Te, te Reo Maori. We'd um, had you know had a number of cultural practices that we we used to try and. Create more people connection, and I think that's a key thing. Not all not all technology leaders are great at managing people, and that's the same actually in any part of the organisation. So, really thinking about people management is a completely separate domain or field or a capability in its own right. So, for technology leaders to get themselves on leadership courses and people management courses, and really understand what creates the glue that makes a good team. Um, so I've been really fortunate to come into a program that was almost ready to go live at a particular technology platform and trying to create the excitement and the fun in the team of getting ready to go live. So thinking about and I I just I happened to listen to a really good podcast just before I joined about making technology projects fun. And of course I'd been one of those people that yeah, no, actually, that's that it'll just happen if it, if it, if it, by accident, if it's if it's needed. But actually I thought about there's something when I came in that this project and team needed to have some fun. It needed to, you know, create some spirit around what we were doing because they were big and complicated and this particular program had been going on for some time. So I think um, the responsibility of technology leaders to think about that culture. And if you don't know how, hire a couple of your next people into your team that are quite good at, you know, providing that glue because it doesn't have to always come from the leader. You know, a, a team's culture is a collection of everybody's behaviours that are in that team Um, and I've been really lucky um, to meet some of the other technology teams around Canterbury in particular and seeing how there's a lot of really great cultures in our technology teams around around the place so um, it's something that I think technology leaders are doing really well at actually on the whole.
0: And it has been proven that the more diverse your team is, the better performing it is. So you mentioned there are a few things that Datacom have been doing to get more uh, Maori and Pacifica into IT. And look, you're one of, um, you know, very few women CDOs that we have here in New Zealand. So why do you think that is? Why don't we have more senior women in IT And what can we do to get more women attracted to IT as a career and um, move them up the, the career path?
1: Yeah, great. Um, I'm seeing a turning point where suddenly there's women in technology everywhere. So I would think here at Alliance, I wouldn't be surprised if we were almost up to fifty percent. There's like us, quiet revolution going on. So I think that so so that that's certainly happening. I think partly it's happening because technology is no longer just sort of the highly engineering technical fields that it might have been. We have business analysts, we have project managers, we have change managers, we have um uh, the, the service desk people that are coming in there's a number of women that are coming in that can communicate really well ab- about technology. So I think as technology expands the roles and the capabilities within it, it's attracting more diverse skill sets. So it's not necessarily that, that um, stereotype of the programmer or the, or the engineer. There's a recognition that much more breadth of skills are needed. So I've been going out to some of the local girls' high schools. So I've been to several of them in Christchurch, just giving them that message. First and foremost, technology skill uh, roles pay really well. So for goodness sake, don't shy away from earning, you know, you think you need to be a doctor or a lawyer. Well, actually folk, technology is going through a quiet salary revolution and women need to be part of it. And there's also quite a lot of flexible working thing project managers and consultants that actually suit women really well. So I'm trying my best to sort of attract more people in, but I'm seeing it happen, uh, whether it's holistically anyway. Um, I think there's still something around, trying to break down those stereotypes about those true, really complex technology careers. You know, I've just had an intern who is a young woman as a data scientist, and so it's great to see um, already. And there's quite a few international students actually bringing coming into New Zealand into those sort of data science type fields, a lot of women. So I think the barriers are going to come down naturally, um, and I think the more women there are when you look around and you want to join an organisation, there's lots of women we will attract more and more because they'll feel more comfortable and more at home.
0: Yeah, well, hopefully we see lots more in those. Yeah, seasons. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> so when you reflect back on your own career, Tracy, is there anything that stands out that, you know, even if it feels a bit uncomfortable to think about mistakes you might have made, is there anything that you've actually learned a lot from along the way that's really shaped you as a leader, even if it was, you know, not the most comfortable thing to go through at the time? Sure. Um So
1: I have this favourite thing that I say, particularly to my children, which is: there's, you know, good, bad, who's to say? So when something happens, how do you know it's a mistake? You know, and if I look back at the many things that in the moment seem terrible and traumatic and bad, and then lo and behold, a year later something happens, and that piece of experience or that person you met or someone reaches out and say, "Oh gosh, that was really hard," but thank goodness you said what you said at the time because it affected me. So I think, first of all, uh, putting the lens mistake on, you can feel judged and judging yourself and, and, you know, all those things. So I try not to do that. Nevertheless, and you can probably tell from this interview, I have a bit of a problem with talking all the time. So I have my my career. Oh, my gosh. If I think about, you know, as soon as I was nervous, I would talk too much, you know, um, so it, it's been interesting kind of coming to this stage of my career, watching some of the other young people coming through men or women and watching some of those um, just personality um, behavioral things and just looking at the way people, other people might talk too much. I think, Oh my goodness, that was me way back then. If only I'd known. Um, so I think, yeah, um, a, a lot of it is yeah, just trying to become more self-aware um, over time about certain things. Um we we're going to talk about derailers in a minute. So shall I bring that one up? Because I think this was really useful. Um, so we've just been talking earlier about the Women Rising course that um, Microsoft put a number of women through um, or supported in technology organisations across New Zealand and Australia, actually. So it's still going. So I highly recommend um, any woman in particular. But um, I'm sure there's male equivalent courses. Um, but they've got a very interesting topic around derailers. And it's actually quite late in the course because a lot of women already judge themselves quite harshly. So, by the time you sort of get confident about you know, what you're trying to do as a leader, this concept of derailers is really interesting. So you might have all the knowledge in the world, great relationships, but there might be something behaviorally that you're doing that actually constantly gets in the way. So it might be an avoidance of taking on responsibility or it might be you know, any number of things. Um, so it's really worth thinking about that. And so my desire to talk all the time and dominate and interrupt people is probably one of my personal, you know, derailers, and just learning to listen a bit more, um, letting people finish before I jump in, um, just as I just did. Um, so, you know, that, that that kind of thing.
0: Well, good. It's always good to be self-aware, and those derail yeah. those derailer questions are really good, aren't they? When you, yeah, yeah. you dig into them, yeah, Because People often aren't aware of their, their blind spots, and um, hundred yeah. <laughs> percent,
1: yeah. And that's men yeah. and women just saying. <laughs>
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So look, we have um, possibly a turbulent year ahead. You know, there are clouds of recession looming, you know, we may have a change of government, which may mean a change in policy, which may impact um, different organizations. So what's important to you in the months ahead at Alliance Group?
1: Sure. I think it comes back to this whole concept of value. So we are really looking hard at everything we're doing across the lines. Um, I just had a meeting yesterday with um, our seven of our plant managers and just r- reminding me, I get to go out and see some of them, about sort of that operating context for many organisations in New Zealand. I remember a few years ago um, listening to or was seeing a graph of New Zealand's GDP over the last you know 50 years and how it's paraded down relative to the the rest of the, the developed world. And a lot of that at the time, um, we were talking about it being driven by lack of productivity, too many manual systems, not enough use of technology, not keeping up. And, you know, it's that same underlying questions, how can our organisations still keep moving forward? What do we focus on that delivers the most value? How do we shrunk it down to less risky initiatives and something that's a bit smaller where we can measure the outcome, engage people and keep moving the organisation forward. So it's much the same as we would face in any time. It's really honing in on being really clear on the impact and the value of whatever it is we're doing and understanding that that in, in great depth and then being able to communicate it and get the buy-in across the organisation.
0: Tracy McElroy, Chief Digital Officer at Alliance Group, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thanks, Cathy. It was nice to talk.